Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be with you, and I see my friends Doug and Jill Scalisi from Brewster Baptist visiting with Can you welcome them to Cape Cod Church? Some of you may remember about a year ago when Tammy and I, uh, Tammy was on her journey and I was at her side. Uh, Doug jumped in and I'm forever grateful for that. And uh, they're on sabbatical and uh, visiting with us today. So we're grateful for that. So we have been now for a few weeks talking about what we've called candid conversations. And they're literally the conversations that Jesus had after his resurrection and before his ascension, essentially. It's in that bucket there. And there are these moments where the story has shifted and everything has changed. And he's engaging often with his disciples in this new way of the world. And one of the most famous of all of those conversations is the conversation between Jesus and Tom. You remember Jesus and Tom. Like, like we have a lot of Toms around here. I think it's the most popular name. We've got Tom Perkins, our longtime business manager, Tom Maine, who's just up here. There's a bunch of other Toms, but this is the most famous Tom, but you probably know him as Thomas. Still not familiar? That's because everyone knows him as doubting Thomas. But I just want to go on record as completely unfair. Because he's forever known as doubting for a single moment of doubt. Like he had this moment when he was like, I can't believe it. And for the rest of generations, it'd be like when you told a lie when you were 10 forever, you're lying Johnny, lying Tommy, lying Ben, lying Susie, right? It's a stuck with you, but for for Thomas, he is forever doubting, not doubted, he is doubting Thomas as if it defined his whole personality. So let me show you where this whole thing got started. In John chapter 20 and verse 24, it says, it says, one of his 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. So there was his first nickname. Dropped that one, changed it for doubting. He was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, ah, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. I'm not buying it. Come on. You guys are falling for this. Don't fall for this. I'm not buying it. For all of history, we've known him as Doubting Thomas, or at least that's the name in this generation. In fact, in the 16th century, this famous painting, I'm going I'm to put it up here for you to see, this famous painting of Thomas and Jesus and the wound in his side, this is actually famously called the incredulity of Thomas, or the incredulity of St. Thomas. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Incredulity. 
incredulous Thomas. Now you know why we call him Doubting Thomas, because it's way easier to say than the incredulity of Thomas or the incredulous Thomas. But he came down to us because of this moment as Doubting Thomas. I'm not buying it. I don't believe it. Not true. It turns out I love this topic, this idea of doubt. Because one of our five commitments as a church is, in fact, it's the first one, is to be there for the one who's not there yet. We love, as Tom was talking about, to be outward focused. We love to be there for the one, to walk through seasons of doubt, to walk through uh, incredulous moments, to, uh, to support people when they're asking questions, to meet the person who hasn't bought in and is not there yet and is not sure if they'll ever get there. Part of our DNA is to be for the one who's not there yet. That doesn't mean that we think doubt is the preferred destination. It's not. I don't think we want to spend and end our life on I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know what I make of all that. We don't think it's the preferred destination, but here's what I do think, that, that it is a season everyone goes through. You see, doubt is a, a doubt is a mix of things that happen in our lives, and we come to moments, and we're like, I don't know what to make of this. Like my life has turned upside down, and I don't know where God is. Sometimes it's we're praying, and it feels like our our prayers are bouncing off of the ceiling. God, where are you at? What are you doing? Why is this happening to me? Seasons of doubt. You see, doubt comes from different places. Sometimes it seems like Thomas. Thomas was just like, nope, nope. You guys are being foolish. Don't do it. Don't do it. You just want it too bad. You're just sad that he's gone. You're thinking you saw things. Don't do it. I don't believe it. And Thomas is sort of that picture of the one who doesn't want to be fooled. I don't want to be fooled. I'm not, I'm not buying it. Everybody's going this direction, and you're telling me this is what is true? I just, I just can't do it. I just can't believe it. I'm, I don't understand it. I don't want to be the one that plays the part of the fool. Doubt rolls in. But sometimes it's not so much that, it's that we have unreconciled pain in our life. Man. Life didn't turn out like we thought. The prayer request wasn't answered. And I'm going through a season of struggle and pain and tragedy, and it has shaken my faith because I can't reconcile what I'm going through with the God who I thought 
love me. And in the places where we have unreconciled pain, we create the ground for doubt to grow. Sometimes doubt comes up in seasons of of upheaval and transition. We're going through a change in life. We're moving out of the house and onto our own. Our authority structures have changed. And all of a sudden, the things that we used to ground ourselves to, we're not grounded to anymore. The person that I used to look to isn't there anymore. The person that I trusted. And we've got this season of upheaval and transition where the things I used to anchor my life to are no longer there. And in that season of transition and upheaval, my faith starts to falter. I'm not sure what I believe in or how strongly I believe it. I'm not sure what to pray or who to pray to or if my prayers are being heard. I'm not sure if what I used to believe, I still believe because I'm in this season of uncertainty and nothing seems solid anymore. Sound familiar? There's a fourth one, um, and, and I'm gonna use a word that's a little bit, it's a little bit jarring, but, 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 but hang with me. Sometimes we go through seasons of doubt because we have a naive faith. In other words, you received a faith from someone, maybe from mom and dad. And you just kind of took it into your life and it kind of sat there on the surface and everything was good. And then you went off to college and first year philosophy class and somebody dropped something on you about the problem of evil and you're like, I've never heard that before. Everything I used to know must be untrue because this professor, this man, this woman said something and I don't know how to answer it because our faith has just been kind of on the surface and it's never been rooted deep. We haven't owned it. We haven't studied it. We haven't, we haven't dug in and wrestled with those truths. Our faith's just kind of sitting there at the service. And somebody comes along and says one thing and all of a sudden turns it upside down. And here's what I love about this passage. In some ways, Thomas represents all of these. (laughs) Man, he's in transition. He believes stuff that doesn't turn out to be true. What he thought was, isn't. His world is turned upside down. And he sums it up going, I'm not buying it. Here's what I love. Jesus doesn't look at him and go, you bum. Are you kidding me? You saw me raise Lazarus from the dead. You saw me make the blind see, the lame walk, the leprous hole. You heard me teach. You were with me. And you can't believe. Instead, Jesus is about to show up. And he walks with him. And I, I, I want to I take the rest of this passage, if I could, and, and from it offer at least three helpful thoughts about walking through all kinds of doubt. 
So here's the first one. Um, if you're uh, taking notes, writing things down, we're going to turn to uh, verse 25. But let me give you this to start with. And it's simply this, be honest. And what I mean by that is be honest with yourself, but also be honest with, with others. Let me, let me read this to you again, because you probably just... But it's, it's a fascinating verse. In verse 25, they told him, we have seen the Lord, but he replied, watch his reply, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Now, cool, cool, I get that, right? Like, I gotta, I gotta see it for myself. <laughs> but he's not done. Put my fingers into them. What? That's gross. Why would you say that? Who says that? Like, who says about someone they love, I'm not believing it until I can stick my fingers in the holes in his hands. And he finishes by saying, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Unless I can stick my fist into his wound in his side, I'm not buying it. This isn't the kind of thing you say because you want to believe. It's the kind of thing you use as an insult to those who do believe. I'm not buying it. Listen to me. It's not true. And he's just putting it out there. Now, here's what I want to say about this. I think there's something helpful here about the honesty, about taking what we're struggling with and, and naming it, about saying it like, listen, I'm struggling with this. I don't know what I believe. I don't know where I'm at. I'm not sure how I'm getting through this. There's just an honesty like, God, what are you doing? But here, I want to go a step further, because here's what happens. We have a box, and in the box, we put all these things, and then we label it doubt. But, there's, but, but doubt is complicated. Doubt is almost never, huh, that's a good question. I don't know how to answer it. Doubt is almost never just, I encountered a good question, and I don't know how to answer it. If that were true, you could always find the answer in a book. But it's always more complicated than that. It's, oh, I don't want to be fooled, and the people I'm around don't believe that. I don't want to play the part of the fool. So that's part of how we are honest. Like, listen, I'm struggling to believe this because this person, this person, this person, they don't believe it, and I'm struggling. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to play the part of the fool. Or it might look like this. Listen, I just got to be honest with you. I'm hurting. I don't know why God allowed this. I don't know what's happening. And I'm not sure how to deal with it. You, you see, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, here's what's in the box. It's not just doubt. Doubt's there. But I'm hurting. I've got this unreconciled pain. Or, or it could be like, whoa, man, I am in a season where nothing makes sense. Like life is just, things are changing, transitioning. I, whew, I don't know. That's being honest. That's like, here's what's in the box. Or, hey, man, I got questions I don't have answers to. I mean, I, I went to this class the other day and the professor said this, 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 and this, and I, I, was, I didn't know what to say. See, see, that's how we're honest. Like we're saying, hey, the box has got more than just doubt in it. <laughs> a couple, couple months ago, 
A new staff members, uh, the Paparos, were, were moving in, and uh, we were helping Johnny and Christina uh, over at their house get moved in, and we're unloading boxes from the U. They'd driven cross-country, and we're unloading boxes and bringing them into the house for them. And, and, and I noticed there were, uh, there were boxes marked fragile. And that made sense, right? People have fragile stuff like, you know, your, your glassware and your plateware, your china. I'm not sure a lot of people have chinaware anymore. I'm not sure our youth pastor has like china, but maybe. But here's what I noticed. There were a lot of boxes marked fragile, a lot. I'm like, That's, they got a lot of glasses. Like, this, is, this doesn't make... And then I noticed if we went in the house, and the, and the box were all marked, and they said, oh, that one goes in there, and that one goes in there. And I expected all the fragile boxes to be in the kitchen. Right? Makes sense. And he said, no, no. And then he said, oh, the fragile, that goes upstairs in the bedroom, upstairs in the bedroom. And they all went upstairs. I'm like... So I had to ask. I'm like, Johnny, what's in the boxes marked fragile? And he says, oh, that's my sneaker collection. <laughs> I'm like, you what? I'm like, this is like, he's like a, like a sneaker head. I'm like, I didn't even know. I'm like, your sneaker collection is marked fragile. And then I found out about the auction and resale market for sneakers, and I wanted to be Johnny. He's going to retire before I do. And here's what I'm saying, like, like we put a box that we call doubt, but there's more than just, there's more than just doubt. Doubt is complicated. And I'm saying be honest because when you're honest, you allow people to walk with you in that story. You allow people into your life. When you say, listen, I'm just, here's the truth. I'm struggling right now and it doesn't make sense and I don't understand what God's doing and I'm hurting. I just want you to know that. Right? We allow, in those seasons, we allow people to come alongside us and walk with us, which leads us to, I think, this second truth out of this passage. I'm going to borrow a point from a message a few weeks ago and bring it forward here because it's worth repeating, and it's simply this. Surrounded is better than smart. Remember that? <laughs> Being surrounded by good, right people is better than being the smartest person in the room. Let me show you what it says here. It's easy to pass by. Verse 24, it opens this up by saying, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. Huh. Little detail, big implications. He wasn't there. He, he didn't get to see him. He, he didn't get to experience that moment. And he wasn't with them to hear what they had to say in that moment to experience it with them. He hadn't been with them. You see, here's the truth. When we isolate, we tend to ruminate, Right? We just stuff gets rolling on the loudest voice in our head when we're all alone becomes our doubt, our fears. They're like an echo chamber. I'm not saying that everybody around you has the right answers, but I'm saying if there's good people in your life that you're grounded to, who've proven over time that they love you relentlessly, don't let go of that. 
Make sure you have those voices speaking into your life. You may find yourself in a season of doubt and uncertainty, and the most mature thing, and I'll grant you it's an incredibly mature thing to do, is to say, I need to make sure I have that right voice. I had a young man after the first service come up, and he's getting ready to graduate, and he says, I'm going to be a first-year philosophy student this fall. What should I read? I'm like, man, you just won. You ask the right question. You're like, hey, I need other voices. I need to make sure I've got some opposing voices for when I hear something I don't understand. Anybody else do this? I'm not, I'm not an early, early person by default. It feels like a casual waste of time to sit around early and do nothing. So I'm usually trying to time it to be just on time. But one place I break that rule is the airport because I'm terrified of missing a plane. I've never missed a plane and I want to start it. So I show up and, you know, you sit through security and I'm like watching the watch. All right, you know, hour, hour and a half, you get through security. And maybe you get through security fast and you're ahead of schedule because you never know what security is going to be like. It could be 10 and a half days or 10 and a half minutes. You don't know. So you, you get through and you, you, you get dressed again. You make sure you still have everything. And then you look at your ticket, and your, your ticket says, or your boarding pass says, you know, gate 127. And you go and you look, right? And it says, oh, gates 1 through 127, right? And, what do you, and, and here's what I do. I start walking all the way to gate 127. I don't care if it's a mile and a half. I'm, I, I got to see the gate. And once I see the gate and I see the monitor and I see the people and I know that's my gate, that's my people, that's where they make announcements, then I go get a cheeseburger, but not before. I don't care how far it is, I got, I got, I got, I got to get there, I don't check in, I don't do anything, I just know that's my place, those are my people, that's where they make the announcements, now I'm safe, go get a burger. But not until. I just want to make sure. And here's all I'm saying is like, listen, when you find yourself in a season of upheaval, whether it's because of pain or because it's a, your faith is just being formed or you're just surrounded by people who don't believe, whatever it is, when you, when you do that, just take that step of maturity to make sure you have those other trustworthy voices speaking into your life so it doesn't become the echo chamber of doubt to everything God has put in your life. Which leads us to the last. And really, all of it comes down to just this. And that is that in places of doubt and uncertainty, just narrow it down to Jesus. That's it. Like, 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 cut out all the noise, all the stuff I don't understand, all the stuff I'm struggling with, and just get it down to Jesus. And really, let me go a step further. Get it down to this. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he did, then he is who he said he was. And he's worth everything I have. I love how this story finishes. And by the way, kudos to you, because a lot of people like coming to the early service, but I, I got so excited preaching this this morning, I forgot to read this passage, and it's the best part. So you're getting the full sermon. Don't tell the nine o'clock folks. A lot of them. All right. Here's what it says. Verse 26 is eight days later, the disciples were together again. How did I miss this? This is like the best part of the whole thing. 
And this time, Thomas was with them. <laughs> the doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. That will mess with you. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, now there's no conversation. He just looks at Thomas and he says, put your finger here and look at my hands and put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. It never records to us that Thomas does any of these things. The picture shows him doing it, but I think the implication of the passage is that his next act was verse 28. My Lord and my God. It, it turns out this is the first time so explicitly stated somebody acknowledges Jesus as Lord and God. It's like, <laughs> verse 29, Jesus told them, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. My Lord, my God. Hmm. You see, the question it really comes down to is, did Jesus rise from the grave? If that's true, then our struggle with a story in the Old Testament or a timeline for the Bible or what does revelation mean or I don't understand these rules and prohibitions in Scripture, all of that fades away to the singular question, did Jesus rise from the grave? Because if he did, he is who he said he was. And he's worth everything I have. You see, our faith is not in that story of violence in the Old Testament we struggle to reconcile. It's not in a timeline of the book of Genesis. It's not in an understanding of what in the world does revelation actually mean. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. Our faith isn't in a church or a pastor or a priest. It's not in a Christian leader who mentored you and then fell away. No, our faith is in Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. And if that's true, it changes everything. One of my favorite stories, and I've told it here at least once or twice in the past, is the story of Charles Blondin, who, was, who kind of made tightrope walking famous. In 1859, he famously walked across Niagara Falls, like 1,300 feet across Niagara Falls. I got to tell you, this is how you drew a crowd back then, right? Which has completely changed because now in the era of social media, YouTubers are like famous because they have a nice car or they make a little TikTok. Like back then, you want to be famous, eh, walk across Niagara Falls on a rope. In fact, I didn't realize this. He did it in his career 300 times. 300 times. Back and forth across Niagara Falls. He, he would, it got to the point where it was just boring to see him walk, so he would do stuff. Like one time, he brought out a stove and cooked an omelet. 
and lowered it down to people who were on the mate of the mist. Who knew they had that back then? Like, lowered it down. I mean, it was, it was always coming up with stuff, but maybe most famously, he, he would put a wheelbarrow, and he'd go across in a wheelbarrow, and he'd load it up with a couple of hundred pounds of weight, and then he'd push the wheelbarrow across. In fact, true, true story, Abraham Lincoln, running for president, once described himself. He said, I'm like Blondin walking a tightrope in America, and in the wheelbarrow is everything we hold precious. Well, that's a pretty good illustration. Blondin famously walked across with this wheelbarrow full of stuff, and he got to the other side, and he says to the people, do you believe I can do it again? And of course, people are like, ah. And then he says, wonderful. Who would like to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> and people are like, no one took him up on it. In fact, true story, he, no one took him. He had to get his manager to go with him. His manager actually climbed on his back and he walked across his manager because nobody would get in. Uh, 300 times and nobody would get in. Would you? I wouldn't. Not a chance. I don't care how many times. Why? Because Blondin was incredibly skilled. But skill has a limit. And I don't want to find his limit. He was skilled. He wasn't God. Our faith is not in a skilled orator. A magnificent teacher from history. Our faith is in Jesus Christ who when he rose from the grave, proved once and for all, he was exactly who he said he was. Because of that, our faith, when everything seems shaky, when pain seems to make no sense, when everybody's going this way and he says go this way, our faith, as simple as it is, is just in Jesus. I can't think of a better way to finish a talk like this than to perhaps give you a chance to say yes to Jesus if you haven't done that yet. Maybe you've been on the fence. Maybe it's, maybe it's been those things. Maybe you're just not sure you can believe because you haven't been around people that believe and it just feels like it doesn't make sense or, or, or maybe reconciling pain or a long list of things. But maybe in Jesus Christ and in his resurrection, you see the one thing you can believe in. Because if that's true, everything else is just details. If that's you, I'd like to give you a chance, just sitting here in this room, hundreds of people to say yes to Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me? Heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and the moment is as private as it can be. But maybe through this, you've sensed God was speaking to you. Maybe you've almost sensed his spirit calling you. Revelation describes it this way in one verse. It's a great verse. It says, if any of you hear me knocking and will open the door, I'll come in. Maybe that's you. You're just ready to say yes to Jesus Christ. 
I'm not assuming you've figured it all out, wiped every doubt off the face of the earth, but you've come to believe Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and you're going to start right there. And if that's you, I'd like to lead you in a prayer of faith. It's just a confession. It's not a, it's not a repetition of magic words. It's a prayer of faith that comes from your heart. And when it comes from your heart, God hears it. You might pray something like this. Dear God, you know me. And everything about me. I believe in you, Jesus Christ. I believe you went to the cross and died so that I could be forgiven. And I believe you rose from the grave proving you were who you said you were the only begotten Son of the Father, God in the flesh. I say yes to you. I want to follow you. I want to live my life fully for you. I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.